He's a common, ignorant slob. He don't even speak good English. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. TGIF indeed. I'm Gary Mann. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour, and we are ably assisted of a Friday, just about every Friday. And I'm talking, of course, about bad boy Benny Mathers at the board, our producer. Howdy, and happy early Mother's Day to you, too. Why, thank you. Well, You're welcome. Thanks. That's the politest way I've ever been called a mother in my life. I love it. And uh, no, before we get to our honored guest of this hour, Jim Meskiman, it's a thrill to talk to him anytime. So I, mm-hmm. we got him. It thanks we to uh, the wonderful publicist of renown, Harlan Bull. I did want to ask you first, though, Benny. Cracking wise, how's the morale around town? Is this going to happen or not? What do you think? It's a do or die on Saturday. I mean, we're in it for to make a game six out of it to hopefully go to game seven. Uh, that's all. I, I mean, we just need so much love from our Seattle Kraken fans to get them back because they lost yesterday, unfortunately, in Dallas. But I'm optimistic. Beautiful. Good. Well, we're sending it our way diagonally from about 3,300 miles away. So if our signal is strong enough, the Kraken will receive the benefit of our support and enthusiasm. It's great that they're in the playoffs, second year in existence. That's excellent. Yeah, we should definitely have them push. Do it for mom, right? I mean, it's the best. That's right. Okay. And do it for mom, or at least do it for Mrs. C. Yeah, hey, Mrs. C. <laughs> There's a connection between Mrs. She's, C, she's beloved America's lady. mom. You're darn right. <laughs> and Jim Meskimen is her son, the son of Marion Ross. And in and of himself, he seems to have quite a career going. We noticed that, and we thought you might want to hear more about it today. Hugely prolific. Jim Meskimen is an accomplished actor, improviser, and voice artist whose work has been seen and heard on television, in movies, and on stage for years. He studied theater and art in his early life and graduated from the University of California in Santa Cruz with a bachelor's degree in fine art while also working in the theater. Jim Meskimen grew up in a theatrical family. His mother is Golden Globe and Emmy-nominated actress Marion Ross of TV's Happy Days and Brooklyn Bridge. He and his wife, Tamara, live in Los Angeles and have been fixtures in the improvisation theater community in both New York and Los Angeles. We will give out his more of his information on the break. But right now, we want to say hello to Jim Meskimen for the third time on Manson Mitchell. Happy nice. to have you with us again. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. And uh, thanks right. for that gracious introduction, which I believe I wrote. That's right. <laughs> and a great job of that as well. Thank you. Jim, I did want to ask you, here's an off-the-wall question for you. Your mother, the beloved Marianne Ross, has been duly honored in a wonderful way, a couple of ways, actually, in Albert Lee, Minnesota, a town that Suzanne and I have been to. Really? We have not seen the statue. We have not been to the theater yet, but heading mm-hmm. north into the Midwest, we have that opportunity again this year when we're mm-hmm. on the road. Have you ever had the opportunity to appear and do your show in the theater named after your mom? Oh, what a nice question. I have not yet, although I don't think it would be uh, it would be hard to put together, actually. Uh, I know them all now, and they're very sweet people in Albert Lee, and uh, I would love to do that. I'm currently rewriting the show after the COVID debacle, so uh, and I'm almost ready to release 
a brand new live show here in Los Angeles. And uh, I, you know, it's a really good idea to contact those people in Albert Lee and see if I can see if I can squeeze into the schedule there at the Marion Ross Performing Arts Center in Albert Lee. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be fantastic. Yeah. I mean, just love that. Well, that's great. And, and please let us know. We'll we'll do another interview if you ever arrange that. Okay. Up for Deal. that on that basis alone. And, uh, you know, a couple of tickets that will call. <laughs> no big deal. It's okay. Just yeah, if you're right. comfortable. No, it's a deal. It's a deal for sure. Thank <laughs> you. That's, that's a great idea. You know, uh, one other question. Suzanne wants to jump in here. It's but okay. I, Go ahead. You know, our show aims primarily, not entirely, but primarily at the baby boomer generation. Mm-hmm. And I remember all those years when ignorant and unquestioning there, I <laughs> had a TV universe of three networks and a fourth, <laughs> if you want to throw in PBS there, right. it, that's how it was viewed. That's viewed literally pun intended. That's how it was seen. That's how it was heard. That's how it was discussed. Isn't it wonderful for a man like you with your amazing, almost profligate talent, all the things that you can do to have access not only to the stage, but also to TV platforms that when we were growing up simply did not exist. And yet here you are. Yes, uh, I'm a lucky guy and almost profligate is a great investment. I think I'll call that. That'll be my next one man show. Uh, almost. <laughs> profligate. Uh, yeah, you know, it, that was a, such a different time. I was discussing this with someone yesterday. It's uh, when you think about it, Happy Days, for example, you had to watch on a channel at 8 p.m. on a Tuesday. And, you you know, if you wanted to wait for reruns, that was a question of months. Uh, even the, the VHS taping was like, a, you know, very few people actually did that. When I was in high school, I didn't know anybody that like, oh, yeah, I taped the show so I could watch it later. That would have been just a revolutionary kind of thing. And now everything is on demand, instantaneous. And it does make my job as a as an impressionist uh, and anybody that's researching anything, frankly, has it a lot easier because we can go on YouTube or any of these other search engines and, and get instantaneous data about anything. You can see pictures of what does it look like in Albert Lee, Minnesota for today? You know, you could probably find a live webcam somewhere, which is just extraordinary. For We don't really even know how much that's going to push uh, mankind forward. I think it's more, you know, we're more distracted by the, the various threats of, of AI and other things to appreciate what we've got with this internet thing. The, the internet thing, yes, in all its vastness. Mm. You know, Gary used the word profligate. And when he and I were talking this morning about our interview with him, I, I printed out the newest information about you from your publicist and I can't say it was completely different, but there was so many additional things to what we talked to you about last year. And I started reading to Gary. So I got to read you this, Gary. And so before, I was before reading- before we go there, before yeah. we go there, I, I'm yes. very interested in that. And, and I appreciate yes. that. But I just have incautiously, I've looked up the word profligate and it it means <laughs> it means recklessly extravagant or wasteful in the use of resources <laughs> so i'm no longer going to name my next uh, autobiography no prof- the, r- the right word profligate. is prolific prolific ah, yeah, but i meant, I meant prolific. profligate because it's like talent comes out the pores of your skin 
That's as wasteful as you get where it's like, I I look at every side. If I walked around you, I would see a different side and I would see, well, what are the nuances? And they would be there to be found because you work so hard at your craft. Yes. And all of them being squandered in one way or another. I get it. Okay. (laughs) Right. And I I was trying to correct Gary in the nicest way possible. By by kicking me in the knees? Like a hockey player. That's not the word I use. I use the word prolific. And, it reminds and, me of a friend. It reminds me of a friend of mine who used a word improperly one time. My daughter was very young, and my friend, who will remain nameless, uh, said, "How is the little Cretan?" <laughs> <laughs> Thinking that Cretan was a kind of a cute name of endearment and not a, a severe medical condition. Suzanne and I uh, sat in. I'll say we we sat in a in a sort of a faux Italian restaurant that's known from coast to coast there one time with Suzanne's Mm -hmm. mom and her uh, gentleman caller at Mm -hmm. the time. And there was a table full of noisy kids, mom, dad, and grandma there. And the kids were acting up and the the gentleman said, well, I'll tell you, you come to a place like this, you sure see the ankle biters. (laughs) And a few minutes later, they had wrapped up their meal and paid the check. They got up and walked away. And I'm telling you, Jim, Grandma turned around and she shot us a look, which had me saying, thank God her eyes don't contain lasers. Oh, wow. wow. It's, it's points of reference and ways of expressing oneself. You know, that's yeah. that's a lot of your stock and trade, senor. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But let's get back to those wonderful things that uh, that you were going to tell me. Uh, I was going to ask you a question. And this is this is what I said to Gary. I said, with this new information, I said, we have so many more things to talk to Jim about because he's done so many more things that have gone into production in the last year. And I said to Gary, it seems to me like since we have become acquainted with you and we've been following you you know, very loosely for a couple of years, it seems like you're in this full flowering of your career right now where you're just doing so much nonstop. Do you feel like you're just running every single day, doing something and going somewhere? In, in a way, Suzanne, in a way, uh, I think mostly what's happening, because I, I too, the, every week there's like a new thing coming out that I'm attached to. Next week, for example, there's a a big video game release that I, I'm not still not re- permitted to talk about, but it's massive and, and, uh, you know, I think what happens is, though, that during the pandemic period, when there was a lot of sort of behind the scenes production going on, there was a lot of stuff that sort of stacked up. And I had been working on feature films, video games, television sh- series and uh, other things. And they all just started becoming released this year. So it just is like a deluge of of work from American Auto on NBC to audiobooks to uh, animated projects like Agent Elvis that I'm on and uh, Beavis and Butthead and uh, Gaslit and uh, and the, sh- the show that I'm really uh, very proud of, uh, The Big Door Prize on Apple TV. All these things have started rolling out over the last four or five months. So it seems like, uh, you know, I'm I'm running all over the place. And indeed I am, but I'm not necessarily running all over the place for those projects. I'm running all over the place you know, right now on the picket line and also trying to keep my other things going with my family and uh, side projects like writing my new one man show. You've got a lot of energy. 
Let's talk about the big door prize because this yes. this definitely intrigues me. Um, the, by the creators of Schitt's Creek, and Schitt's Creek is probably Gary's and my favorite show. And so, who are the creators of the big door prize? It's it's David West Reed, and he was one of the okay. people behind Schitt's Creek. And David West Reed um, got a hold of this project. It's taken from a book called The Big Door Prize, and. Uh, He's crafted this wonderful show that stars Chris O'Dowd. If you know Chris O'Dowd, he's from Bridesmaids and the IT crowd and uh, also uh, Get Shorty, that series. He's a wonderful young Irish actor and very, very funny. I mean, just fall down funny. And uh, it's about this uh, small town that has this fortune-telling machine suddenly appear in the small neighborhood market. And people go there from the town and they they have their fortunes told in a way that it's very legit and kind of mysterious. And this little blue card comes popping out after you've typed in your social security number and put your fingerprints on it, uh, on the machine. And it purports to tell you your true destiny. And it, it has the effect of making people really evaluate what they're doing in their lives. And this is a comedy, but it, it has these kind of dramatic overtones. I would, I would call it a kind of a, a fantasy dark comedy that's what I would call it. And and people start making adjustments to their life that are quite extreme and quite uh, arbitrary. And uh, it, it throws this little town and this family that Chris O'Dowd is the head of into, you know, kind of topsy-turvy. I play Chris O'Dowd's father, who is an accountant, but who gets the card that says, you know, my true dest- destiny should be male model. And so I quit my accounting firm. <laughs> And start <laughs> modeling for a living. So for the part, I've had to work out with a trainer and, uh, and get my body in a little better shape, which has been a, a nice side benefit of the whole thing. But I get to work with this incredible cast. And uh, well, how fun this. is that? Yeah. It's really fun. We shot in Atlanta. We just finished season two, actually. Season one just started, uh, was released last month. So uh, there's a lot of confidence in the show. And hopefully after the writer's strike, uh, We'll uh, resume and do a season three. Yeah. It's interesting when you said there's humor in it, but there's also some serious overtones mm-hmm. because that's what we found with Shit's Creek. I mean, mm. every episode was very funny, but you also watch these characters grow from being so incredibly self-absorbed <laughs> to actually being wonderful, loving people by the end of the sixth season. And, uh, and it is one of our favorite shows. So uh, this one has a, the big door prize has a lot of, a lot going for it with um, <clears throat> that kind of creativity behind it. Yeah. And it's very original as Schitt's Creek was. It's just, you never know where it's going to go, but it's, it all makes sense. You're interested in the characters. Plus it's a lovely show to watch. That's visually the, uh, the director of photography and, and uh, the production design is, is beautiful. It's, it's a, it's a pretty show to look at. Where is it set? It's set in a small town, a fictional town, which might be might be outside Atlanta because that's where we shoot. <laughs> but okay. it's and, not and, uh, it's not necessarily a southern town, but it's just right. a it's just a kind of make believe town. Excellent. Deerfield. The, pro- the producers of this show, the Big Door Prize, they were the producers of Schitt's Creek as well. Well, David West Reed is one of the creators of both those both the shows. Yeah. Oh, I see. The great thing about television today and uh, 
we may see this in the big door prize because of these seismic shifts in people's lives and the decisions they make. One of the reasons why Suzanne and I came to be hooked on Shit's Creek, I mean, I bought the box set and we go through it wow. every now and again. Mm-hmm. It's it's about all the things that Suzanne said and so much more, including the idea that whole communities, whole segments of the North American population who were not only marginalized for many years, but also ostracized, have, as it were, their place in the sun. It's, Mm. hey, we're normal. We're not purple-headed dragons. We're not, you know, big monsters or something. We are people very much like you, and we have a certain orientation. We have our own personalities. We have the right to our individuality, and yet we form a loving community. What they're telling Mm. me in Schitt's Creek is that all of that is possible wherever you live. If you are awake enough and aware enough, oh my God, if you're woke. Well, I live in Florida, so that's, Don't you say that's okay. just about outlawed, you know, in the free state yeah. of Florida. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. elsewhere, you're free to be awake and to explore who you are and what your own potential is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny how the word awake has suddenly got all this baggage attached to it, which we never expected. I mean, we can think of an alternate word, perhaps aware, conscious, whatever. Conscious a still, conscious. conscious still has a little bit of the the '60s on it. It's like consciousness, man. Yes, but, that's right. Are, are you conscious? <laughs> and then it, they they refreshed it and they, they pressed the refresh button. I don't even think they existed back then, but in the '70s, <laughs> the refresh button was hit, as it were, and you went from consciousness to consciousness raising, which was a highly directed effort to get people to think a certain way until. Yeah. They grew strong enough to say, you know what? I believe I'm strong enough now to make my own decisions about how <laughs> I want to live my life. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to be in charge of my consciousness, if you don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. did want to, before, uh, just to, for a couple of minutes, if you don't mind, Jim. Sure. Please discuss with us the heart of this strike, which affects everybody who is tapped into cinematic TV reality who depends on the talent and the diligence of very good writers. Are the core issues the kind that will remain insurmountable in your estimation for a long period of time? Or does that gap, are they able to come together over one or two issues fairly soon? I sure hope it's the latter. Me too. I'm not a really good authority on that. I'm not really tied into the the nuts and bolts of the argument. I think it's just a in a general way, I can say that, you know, uh, we've all noticed uh, the the proliferation, uh, the profligate uh, expansion of of (laughs) streaming services and, you know, the ways that people can get watch entertainment and and producers have been, and the people who own these shows and these networks and these platforms have been apparently profiting quite a bit off of, uh, you know, cheaper means of distribution. And uh, those benefits have not filtered down to the writers. Now, I know from my own experience, my sister's a writer, uh, a writer producer. She worked on Friends for a number of years and has a, has an Emmy. And she's a very funny uh, writer and, and very good writer. And I know that writers in general work uh, far longer hours than uh, than actors do. <laughs> and in most cases, they are especially like on a on a series or a sitcom or something like that. And I and they they're not really remunerated nearly in the same way. And now with streaming, there isn't the same structure. So it's just that the 
the way that people are are paid has to catch up with this huge leap forward that we've made with technology and distribution. So it's an adjustment. It's going to have to be made. I'm sure it will be made. You certainly can't have this golden age of television continue without thinking expressive writers. Uh, And right now, you know, there are tons of really great writers uh, and they love to work and they love to write. They need to be they need to be part of the whole mix as far as, uh, you know, sharing in in the the largesse of what is being generated by the new technology. Very well stated. You know, we talked a, a little bit earlier um, about all all of these platforms that are available. The um, the big door prize is on Apple. Apple TV and, Plus, yeah, which I think yeah. is a little bit of an upgrade, sort of a, a service well, there. Thank you. There is a distinction between yeah. Apple TV and Apple TV Plus, and I see all of these uh, advertisements on TV. Gary was saying, you know, when we were kids, because we're a little bit older than you, there, there were three channels and, and mm-hmm. PBS. You had ABC, NBC, and CBS, and that was it back in the 50s. And now, and then the, with the cable verse, there's hundreds of stations. Now with the internet streaming, I'm, I'm just wondering about that intersection of the streaming and the television if at some point um, television may just disappear, you know, what, what do you think is happening between movies and television as far as are they going to continue or, or do you think maybe it will just become something else when we have all this technology? That's a really good question. I mean, we're all wondering about that and we're all going to create that future uh, with our preferences, the right. things, you know, it doesn't so much, you don't see so much of a difference when you get on into a production. If you go to a studio lot, you see cameras, makeup people, wardrobe people, actors and crew, directors right. and everybody. But after it leaves there and gets, you know, out of editing and becomes a product, it now doesn't exist on cans of film anymore. It doesn't exist on big binders of, you know, cassettes or, or anything like that. It's sort of on a hard drive somewhere. Mm-hmm. So then it's it sort of bypasses a lot of those old traditional uh, ways of converting that into getting into people's homes. And, you know, I think there's still obviously a lot of attraction in going to a physical theater to see something. I I still like to go to movies because there is that communal aspect that you just can't quite get at home. But as far as television, yeah, it's a good question. You know, network television already seems to be a little bit on the ropes, as it were. Um, yes. It just seems you, when you watch it, it just seems like oh, they're they're it's sort of hemmed in by various old regulations. Oh, I was going to say that by the FCC regulations. Yeah, and by the fact that they have to have commercial breaks and uh, right. they can't say certain things, they can't show certain things. Like <laughs> I was on an episode of yeah. of SWAT, and I had a really good part in this episode of SWAT, but it, it involved you know it's cops and it's violence, and they shot a guy. And uh, I was told that, you know, they, they one of the characters got shot and he's laying in the car and he's got blood on him and he's dead. And they said, and I, at some point I, I asked about it and they said, yeah, we're, CBS is not allowed to show moving blood, but they can show blood that has, I guess, left the body and is pooled or soaked into clothing. But there's no splattering or or flying or dripping or flowing blood is not. 
allowed. Well, and, and I thought, what well, makes these decisions? It's very interesting. Well, and, and Jim, this has progressed from the old Westerns hmm. where Gary and I will see something tuning into one of the old stations. When anybody got shot, there was no blood. No, they just leaned over and went, ah. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> that was it. You yes. never saw blood in the no. old Westerns. And so it makes us giggle today because you see a whole lot of blood on, Ever since on... Sam Peckinpah. Yeah. Well, my Sam father Peckinpah. used to be, uh, my father was an actor for a while and he was in some old cheap, well, they called them six day wonder, uh, uh, Western films. Cause he was from Texas. He knew how to ride. And when he came to Hollywood, he would get jobs in these cheap movies. And he told me when I was a little boy, he said, you know, you know, when they have blood on in the movies, when they, you ever see blood on a cowboy or something, or he's laying there with a little trickle of blood coming out of his mouth. It's uh, it's actually chocolate chocolate sauce and i went oh and uh he said yeah you'd lay there for a while and the ants would find you <laughs> <laughs> the daunting challenge of being an actor you have to work with yeah. what you've got <laughs> i can't work with these ants <laughs> bring my own ants from home <laughs> do the ants work oh, for union yeah. scale that's what i want that's right yeah exactly union ants well, we talk so much about you know about mores, about cultural standards. I am routinely shocked just because I'm an older bird there. But when I hear that they, after all, I'm a fan of Schitt's Creek, for example, but to hear cultural expressions and the issues of the day dealt with sometimes in a, um, a sarcastic way, sometimes deadly serious, sometimes mournfully. And these are the things that that take everything in entertainment to a new level. Nothing against I Love Lucy. We all love Lucy and the Mertzes and Ricky Ricardo, all even Little Ricky, all of those folks. <laughs> there was, you didn't go much past the shoreline with that. You didn't mm, go mm. too deep because the audiences, I, I presume, would be thought not to be able to handle it. It just didn't fit the mores of that time. Well, yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. I Also, don't you think that's a... That's a product of trying to reach a very broad audience. Now we can hit a very niche audience, mm -hmm. you know, and, and when you're trying to appeal to everybody, then you got to stick to those big, uh, broad strokes and themes that, that you're pretty sure everybody knows about. And uh, I Love Lucy certainly did that. They were basically doing the kind of uh, light comedy theater that had been done for quite a while successfully. Uh, but with this new medium of television and with the with the genius of Lucille Ball and, and Desi Arnaz, too. And then when you get to the 70s, I still remember the feeling of being. Best way I can put it is I felt like somebody punched me in the gut, but then there was this wonderful deliverance. And I'm talking about the episode of All in the Family mm. where Edith, Edith Bunker had to fight off a would be rapist. This is on mm. primetime CBS television. Wow. And I watched that and I thought, they're really taking life seriously. It isn't all just making fun of Archie Bunker anymore. Mm. Gosh, I didn't remember that show. You know, my mom worked with Gene Stapleton on a national tour of Arsenic and Old Lace, and I got to know Gene a little bit. And uh, she was a tremendous actress, just just a wonderful person. Uh, but I, I don't remember that episode. But yeah, they I know that they tackled, I think she later on had breast cancer or something. In yes, show. she did. I thought yeah. that's where you were going, but I forgot it. I didn't know about the. That's where I thought he was going to. Was that in the in the uh, 
in the Archie Bunker, like the later series or the original All in the Family? No, I think that was the original. Perhaps wow. closer to the yeah. middle of the run, but it was All wow. in the Family. I looked wow. it up. It's actually season eight, episodes four and five. It's Edith's 50th birthday episodes. Ah, well, happy birthday, you, Edith. Yeah. Here's your attempted yeah. rape. Right. That's part of it. <laughs> oh, Talk, wow. about, talk about almost profligate. Right. Yes, that's right. And to put that on TV, I mean, that told me, well, society looked out one way. People might not agree, but you're advancing society by having a conversation about the toughest subjects. Yeah. 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 I, I you know, I think about it in terms of like uh, audio recording. You know, when you listen to an old 78 album, as we did, uh, you know, long ago, uh, my father had a huge collection of it. The fidelity is what it is. It's you're getting you're getting wavelengths uh, that certainly suggest uh, the sound of actual instruments and, and you know, suggest nuance. It's not really there, but you can kind of go, oh, yeah, that reminds me of nuance <laughs> and and richness. And then as the as the um, the fidelity grows, and the technology grows now you know, we can capture just the, the smallest little minutest things and we can mix sound and music so beautifully to contain all these different wavelengths. And it's a very rich experience. The same is happening with visuals, obviously, in, in television and film and also ideas and themes. We can explore tiny little moments like like the office, the original office, the British office, I thought, explored a, a, a wavelength, if you will, of human experience, which was this kind of embarrassment and doing embarrassing things that had never really been explored before. And I, I just found it so wonderful because it was like it, it was like a miner coming up with a, a very rare jewel. And you go, man, you dug and you found that and you're presenting that. And I'm I'm I I knew that was in that mine somewhere. I've experienced that. So it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing whenever we have Jim Meskimen with us. He is a joy, and the life he's living, man, it, that would be a door prize, believe me. That, that's when the, <laughs> that's, that's when what is behind door number three is something <laughs> great, not a barnyard <laughs> full of chickens or something. <laughs> we'll be back. More of Jim Meskimen, more of Manson Mitchell. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hang in there. Give us a couple of minutes. We will be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. 
She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed back the talented Jim Meskimen, actor, impressionist, voice artist, and improvisational comedian from Whose Line Is It Anyway? and the voice of Colonel Sanders on KFC commercials. On Saturday, Malia Jacobs, Seattle Intuitive, answers the questions on people's minds in what we like to call metaphysical Q&A. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our very special guest this hour, Jim Meskimen who has not a profligate, but a prolific career <laughs> as an actor, as a, that's voice, straight. <laughs> yes, as a uh, voiceover artist, as a fine artist, a number of things, um, just so many that we couldn't possibly do a whole bio because we'd have no room for the interview. But Jim, if people would like to connect with you, and there are several ways they can do that, please let our listeners know the, the best way to find out more about Jim Meskimen. Oh, thank you. That's nice. Uh, well, there's my jimmeskimen.com uh, sort of website, but then you have to learn, you have to know how to spell meskimen, which it took me years. Uh, but easier probably is to go to Instagram. I'm on, uh, it's called at jimpressions. Jimpressions is kind of my overall uh, sort of label or handle, if you will. And also on TikTok, uh, I look for jimpressions. Although I think I'm Jim Meskimen there too. Now I think about it. Having having a quite a lot of love from uh Instagram and TikTok lately. I've I've added quite a lot of followers, which is interesting. You know, there's all these nameless people out there, or not nameless, but they have funny little handles and sometimes numbers and symbols. Uh and we don't actually meet, but they are interested in what I do with the impressions, and I'm very grateful. You you're uh look-sees into those views are in the millions. And I think you're you're being a little modest right now because you've got seven and eight million people looking at you in Instagram and Facebook. What what are you putting up there that people are so interested in? You know, my daughter helps me a lot. Uh, she's also a voice artist and uh, and my, one of my creative producers. And so she, she and I get together and we think try to think of things that be entertaining and lighthearted that somehow in, uh, involve in my ability to do voices, accents, impressions. That seems to be, you know, coined to the realm, <laughs> at least on my on my socials. So, um, yeah, lately we did like we did a thing that's gone viral this week, which is one word impressions. And she will spit out the name of a celebrity, and I will do just one word in that celebrity voice. Ah, very good. Very very good. Well, Jim Pressions is the word impressions, I-M-P-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-S, and put a J in front of it. And for those who are interested in Meskimen, I know how to spell it. It's M-E-S-K-I-M-E-N. So find Jim Meskimen on all these different platforms and be vastly entertained and get, give yourself a good laugh too. Oh, and you, thank you. And YouTube as well. I, um, I put up at least one video on YouTube every day, even though it's not the, uh, 
the big numbers game it used to be. Uh, it's more turned into Instagram and, and TikTok. But but I still feed YouTube because YouTube was where I had my earliest uh, viral success. And, uh, and I've met a lot of nice people that way. Excellent. I love this concept <laughs> of the one word. I think that I haven't seen it, but now I've got to go see it. There, it reminds me, Jim, of um, there. It was playful, but the uh, the the ribbing that Dana Carvey got from a former president of the United States, the first mm. President Bush, mm. who indicated to on air on Saturday Night Live, it was a bit where he told Dana Carvey that never in his life had he ever used the word debt, like not gun debt. <laughs> the word debt <laughs> yeah funny. so if you had d-u-t debt oh well that's yeah. president bush <laughs> the first one <laughs> not gone debt not gone debt <laughs> read my lips yeah now you, the one thing that you didn't mention when i said tell all about yourself see you can't do it and we can't do it either but one of the things that you missed was that you are actually launching an online course on how to become a working actor. And that is one of the things that we wanted to ask you about today. So say a little bit about that online course. What can people expect you, if they do that? Yeah, there's a, it's been up for a little while. It's a, a series of videos and eBooks that I created. And it's uh, basically the successful things that I've done. And I continue to do to keep working as an actor. It's, it's, it's kind of when you're starting out, sometimes you uh, you don't know where to begin. You don't know what you should be doing. It's a confusing business. It's a it's a rapidly changing business. And so I try to do something to help up the next uh, generation of artists. And, uh, you know, it's not just getting started either. It's keeping something going. That, I think, is a, is a very tricky kind of exercise because, you know, anybody can get in a play or they can even get in a TV show or maybe they book a commercial. But then what do you do to to do the next one, to get the next one? Because I think a lot of people uh, take advantage of the fact that beginner's luck in show business is often very potent. And uh, there's stories in abundance of people who accompanied a friend to an audition. And then the person, the casting director said, oh, and have your friend read. And then they book it. And much to the embarrassment of the person that brought them in. And they're like, and then I booked this national commercial, which is great. But then after about two months or less, that commercial is no longer on the air and you're back at square one again. How do you get back to that? Your beginner's luck has been you've played that card. So what's the next card that you play? So in the course, I go over things that would be of use to actors that have been working for a while and and have kind of stalled out or just want to keep growing and newcomers as well. People that are getting started and sharing everything that I've done, things that I learned from my mom, Marion Ross in her 60-plus year career, uh, stuff that is pretty much evergreen material. It's not going to evaporate with the new, next new technology. Fundamental things that one can do to keep working as an actor. And that's at, uh, you can find out about it at a, uh, a the, the landing pages at jimworkingactor.com. I wish I had a course in how to become a superstar. I don't know how to become a superstar, but I know that being a working actor is part of that. I know it's a step on the way. You want to be working. You want to establish your career and your reputation and your brand and build experience. And then the possibility of becoming a star is is exponentially uh, risen. Gary and I were talking this morning, uh, actually a few days ago, about whatever happened to so-and-so. 
actress right. who was up in major major roles and have not seen or heard anything crickets after yeah. being a very hot ticket yeah. and they said it's kind of interesting in that business because you can be an absolute sensation and people everywhere know who you are but you can flame out mm. the other end of that is being a journeyman actor where you can work your entire life you can have a very steady paycheck you can um be very prolific in your career and and yet you don't have that instant instant recognition and people saying i know i know them from somewhere i know her from somewhere where do i know her from and so there's that and i said it's kind of interesting to look at those ends and and how to make that leap from one to the other mm. and uh, and 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 it's interesting to me because of the the instantaneous success like like instant oatmeal but then <laughs> whatever happened to them you know mm. they, they're not staying with it they're they're not lasting and i and i do like to see some of these movies coming out with these older actresses in it just partly because i'm old but then partly it's like, wow, they extended their career. They're yeah. actually doing something now in their 70s and 80s. And good for them. Yeah. Good for them. Well, the, I think the part, the, the it boils down to how interested are you in being a performer? And you have to kind of raise your interest level. You have to like generate your own interest in it. That's what I found in my case. Because if you're on a series, let's say you get, you're in your 20s, you're a gorgeous human being and you get hired to be in a series and it takes off and you know every episode you have about two scenes or three scenes but you're in that show everybody associates you with that show and it goes off the air if you're waiting then for all the attention to just keep flowing towards you and all the opportunities to keep coming in you're waiting and you're just expecting and you're basically like a a, a vacuum cleaner of of opportunity uh eventually that runs out and yes. unless you're just so irresistible, but if you can generate interest in being a performer, what I saw my mom do, for example, even though, I mean, she always hustled into her forties until happy days hit. I mean, she would do plays and she would do, you know, uh, she would hire a publicist as I've done and she would appear at things and she would go to openings and she would do play readings for people. She generated interest for herself in being an actress and being a performer and then even when Happy Days hit, which was well into its third year or fourth year, uh, in the hiatus period when she wasn't shooting, she would go and do a play somewhere. She would, And that's hard work. Uh, it's a lot harder work than being in a television show, I can tell you. It, you have to go and, and maybe leave town, maybe go to a hotel and leave your kids behind and, uh, and learn lines and meet a whole bunch of people and, you know, and do that show eight days a week. But she would do it because I think, you know, and she would have to tell you herself, but I think she's identifies with being a creative person and that's who she really is. She is a person who takes a script and makes choices and then gets on stage and creates an effect on an audience. And she's interested in that. She's not a person who's hanging back and going, I wonder what my next opportunity is going to be. You know, it's been a little while and I hope they pay me enough and. Gee, I don't know if I want that. You know, that I think is the way to dusty oblivion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You do have to keep yourself interested in what it is that you're doing. 
And um, you are not the only person who is helping people with your online course about a working actor. Your wife is involved in teaching as well. Am I right? Yes, my wife established a really excellent acting school with a couple of other friends of ours called the Acting Center in Los Angeles. And it's been operating for, I think, 15 years now. And they're in Sherman Oaks. And it's a very unique school. Very, I, I say it's a very revolutionary school. I've studied there. It's Sometimes people say, talk to me as if it's my school. It's not. <laughs> it's my wife's. And it's revolutionary in that it does not cleave to this... Um, kind of what's become a traditional approach to acting with a kind of a guru head of the class uh, who tells you what you do that's right and what you do that's wrong. And then everybody talks about it and they share their feelings about your performance. And they, you know, that unfortunately has spread like a virus. And Henry Winkler actually lampoons it very well in that in that show, Barry, that he plays a a drama teacher like that. But uh, Tamara, my wife, Tamara, her school uh, just consists of a place where actors can come and do a specified curriculum of drills, acting drills, where they slowly and gradiently build up skills that, is, that an actor needs to build a character, to make choices. And they are allowed to develop their own artistic judgment. This is revolutionary. Nobody in, in acting schools is ever allowed to develop their own judgment. They're told what is good and what is proper and what is right and blah, blah, blah. And that is not the way to teach any kind of artist, because then you just eliminate the possibility that they will have a new vision and something interesting. Because the superstars that we love, the people that really capture our imagination in the arts are people that are doing something that nobody even thought of before. And it's amazing. And we love that. And it refreshes the culture. Doing the same and being in a cookie cutter pattern is just, again, the, the road to dusty oblivion, I think. And, and and nasty sometimes in a school setting. So Tamara School, the acting center, is a safe place that enables people to actually build the actual skills that professional actors use. When I hear that, I think that there is a golden opportunity, and maybe it happens at the school co-founded by your wonderful wife. There, It reminds me of something that I heard on TV in an interview with Christina Applegate. God bless her. There's a lady mm. that can face challenges. Yeah. And Christina Applegate said that she has a photographic memory. Now, that's something perhaps that mm. you're blessed with, but mm. there are still mnemonic devices, as they're called, mm-hmm. memory devices that would help somebody get their lines down so well, which she was able to do. She goes through it once. She knows that she doesn't have to worry about forgetting her lines. How about that? If you didn't have to worry about your life, particularly when you don't get a chance as on Broadway or off Broadway, when you're on stage, you either get it right or you blow it, right? (laughs) If you have the ability to remember your lines with such confidence that you can get into the headspace of the character, you can Mm. start to see how does this person see the world? How do I deepen this character's point of view? That becomes easier if that's the right word it's certainly not profligate today that's for sure anyway it's it's, it's, (laughs) because that which you can do once memorizing your lines is not a problem i would think that would be so liberating to just know you have those lines down and now let's get into the interior life of this character well that's a very interesting question and uh what uh my wife's school the acting center what they do is they kind of reverse that and I think it's much more productive. 
And what they do is you you concentrate really on the character first, build that character, find out who that person is, and then work the scene in a general way. What are we kind of talking about here? And then there are there are other drills that address just the learning of the lines. But without the character there, you're just kind of uh, it's kind of like just learning these words and and it's not as true once i've i've found because i used to be the kind of actor was you know i'd get the audition and i'd go all right oh man this has got some tough words in it i better start learning these right now and then sometimes i would completely omit to create a character <laughs> and and then wonder why yeah i wonder why i'm not booking anything whereas if you if you really can embrace a character that's actually more important and that's what they're looking for in an audition they're not looking for someone who is the best word memorizer oh very good yeah yeah i like that so the the acting center has great drills for that and uh, i've gotten a lot of benefit out of it it's actually changed my whole game and when i started using these these drills i started booking better roles like the one on gaslit with julie roberts and sean penn and the big door prize with Chris O'Dowd and uh, also Hunters, uh, this Nazi hunting show where I got to play this German judge at the tribunal of Adolf Hitler. And I mean, these great dramatic roles that I, I just never got to take a piece out of before. And it was after I started doing these these very specific drills about building a character first and then. All right, well, we'll get the lines. We'll get the, let's find out what the point of the scene is. What are you generally saying? And then hone it in on the, the exact uh, dialogue. I love that. It's like looking at it from the obverse mm -hmm. because, uh, and here again, I make a reference to Schitt's Creek. Stevie there, who's not an actress in, in the show, she runs a motel. And yet when she had the opportunity to play Sally in Cabaret, mm -hmm. the day of, she was struggling with this one piece with the, with a few lines and she couldn't get the part down and she was a nervous wreck. <laughs> and I remember watching, I've seen that probably at least a dozen times. There, but watching that scene, I just think to myself, but what if that wasn't a problem for you? How would you go out the go into this role knowing that when it's time to deliver the lines, you already have the words? That's how you deliver. How do you mm. make with Jimmy Stewart? How do you make yourself? Jimmy Stewart used to say his uh, his whole goal when he made a movie was to achieve believability. Believability, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> measure of believability. If you don't believe the character, then well, why are you sitting there? That's Jim Meskimen doing that, everybody. Which which leads me to my next question, sir. Have you had one of the stars that you uh, an impression of which that you do so brilliantly with any number of people, politicians, star, whoever it is? Have you had a few of them come up and say, "You know, you really nail me pretty good. I get to listen to myself through your lungs. This is interesting." I look forward to that experience. It has not happened to me yet. Maybe <laughs> really? With all the people? With that. all the invitations you do? Well, I think it's because I, I don't run into those people very much. And uh, <laughs> they operate in different circles. I do know I do know Ron Howard, and I see I run into Ron every now and then. And uh, and he's aware that I do an impression of him, and he's always very uh, he's very gracious about it. So, uh, But I, I, you know, I, I don't do it to his face if I can help it. <laughs> Very good. Well, we can't uh, we can't watch a, a KFC commercial without going. There's our friend Jim Meskimen. Every time the commercial comes out, yes, that's right, that's right. That's true. There's Jim. <laughs> There's Jim. 
As a matter of fact, in uh, about five minutes' time, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a jump on another session with the KFC people because uh, we, we keep uh, redoing this one radio spot that they keep thinking of better ways to better ways to ride it. One thing I love about doing the Colonel is that uh, you know he's got. I don't have to think about it, you know, when I I can create on him forever. And I've started to do, I don't know if you've seen on YouTube, but I do these uh, found found recordings of Colonel Sanders talking on the phone to other celebrities. And uh, I try to do one of those at least, you know, once every couple of weeks. And the latest one I did was uh, uh, Colonel Sanders talking to Orson Welles. And Colonel Sanders called Orson Welles about possibly getting him to participate in some advertising for the fledgling chicken brand and it, it just kind of tickles my imagination and i love to create the illusion that these two icons are talking to one another i you, love that jimmy have you ever had the opportunity to deliver the line ramon Raquello and his orchestra <laughs> no is that from uh, orson wells or yeah war of the world Ramon Raquello and his orchestra. And it was totally fictional. The whole thing was fictional. Right. You talk about the impact of media. Well, that would be an example. Yeah. That's fake news is what you're talking about. That's fake news. I don't mind telling you. <laughs> this man fake. needs his own town hall. He does. He does. <laughs> Townhall.com. I think that... Um, one of the great lessons that people could take early on, probably when they go to any acting school is to realize that there are journeymen actors and actresses, and they get to work a long time there. Uh, the phrase bringing the heat was brought to my attention by Stan Livingston, the chip from my three sons. We interviewed him a couple of times and he said with actors, these are the gorgeous people you spoke about earlier, Jimmy, mm. you know, they bring the heat as long as the heat remains with them, remains to be brought. Mm -hmm. the, the journeyman, actor, his brother, Barry Livingston, Ernie Douglas, he, if you need a doctor or an accountant or a lawyer wearing glasses, a bald guy in a nice suit or a doctor's coat, he's your guy, you know, and you, you just have a longevity with that. And, and I think young actors and actresses, would do well to realize that you are a success, even if your name isn't above the title of the movie. That's yes. right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm just so grateful. I mean, I've been able to work in this business over 35 years, feed my family, you know, uh, raise a beautiful daughter, um, live a very, very nice life. It's not extravagant, but it's comfortable. And, uh, uh, and, and I've been in some great projects with some wonderful people. So I'm, I, I, yes, you have. I really am quite blessed. And then there's my mom. So, uh, you know, yeah. I, I think I won. I think I won a few times. Oh, you did. Many Jim, times over. There's so much to talk about and so many things you've been in. Please tell us you'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about things we haven't even talked about yet in three times. I'll be able to talk about that new video game that's launching, which I can't there mention, but it I rhymes know. with, it rhymes with, Barfleck. Okay. Okay. <laughs> nice. And, and hopefully you'll be on sooner rather than later and talking about how who was great that they settled that strike. Good luck yes. to both yeah. sides. Yeah. Is that the name of your show, Sooner Rather Than Later? I think that's a that's, great Yes, and now exactly. Sooner Rather Than Later. Here are your hosts, Gary it's and about, Suzanne. It's about funeral right. planning, yes. Sooner rather than later. <laughs> it's a podcast about funeral planning. And we'll take your calls. Yeah. Hilarious. Thank you for being with us today. Always My a pleasure. pleasure, Jim. Okay. Take care, you guys. All right. We hope you all have a great weekend. We've got to get out of here. One o'clock Pacific time, American Road Trip Talk. And we're headed to Nevada. Join us then. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend.